Uh, he was the son of a priest, a well-known priest. Uh, he was unconventional, uh, to say the least. He challenged the status quo thinking of his day, and he railed against the religious institutions of his day. Uh, we know him by the name of John the Baptizer, and thousands were flocking out from Jerusalem and Judea to the Jordan River Basin to hear him preach and to watch him baptize. On one occasion, as thousands of people lined along the shoreline of the Jordan River, John was waxing eloquent as he so often did, and he was preaching. Oftentimes, he would talk about repentance, and he would ask people to change their mind about God and to change their mind about themselves and to change their mind about sin. And he would preach on these things, and he spoke in ways that people, they just kept coming out, and they just kept coming out, and they wanted to hear more of what John had to say. And on one such occasion, as thousands of people were there, and as John was in the midst of one of his dynamic sermons, it was as though John became distracted. And perhaps he even began to stutter, looking for words in the midst of his distraction. And then finally, he goes silent. And he points everyone in the direction to which he is distracted by and distracted in. And he points, and he points at Jesus, and he says words that we, we've all probably heard before. Look. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And everybody in the crowd that day, I can just hear the sound of heads turning and looking at Jesus as he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And that day, the world began to change. That day when John said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God, everything started to change. That day was the beginning of Andrew and Simon Peter's story. These are two brothers. And Andrew was a disciple of John the baptizer. That means that he followed him around, that he was probably in the crowd most weeks as John was preaching and teaching. Andrew, he, he would listen to what John had to say. Maybe he was a close assistant to John, but he was a disciple of John. And Andrew was in the crowd that day when John said, behold, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. And, and Andrew, like everybody else, he looked at Jesus. And then he looked at John. And those words, they were burnt into Andrew's mind and upon his heart. We're told that the very next day that Andrew is with John again, and they're walking, and they come to meet Jesus once, ag once again. And, and Andrew, there with John, John looks up at Jesus and says, Hey, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And after two times of hearing that, Andrew had to find out for himself exactly what John was talking about. So Andrew went up to Jesus, and we're told about this in remarkable detail in the Gospel of John. That it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and Andrew went up to Jesus and said, Hey, have you got some time to spare? I would like to hang out with you. And Jesus said, Yeah, I've got some time. And so Andrew and Jesus, they went out and they hung out together for a little while. And we don't know what the conversation was like. We don't know what questions Andrew had for Jesus and what answers Jesus had for Andrew. But here's what we do know. At the end of that meeting, at the end of that meeting, Andrew left thinking that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, that Jesus was the one that the prophets promised would come into the world to ultimately save the world. Andrew left that meeting thinking that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And the first thing that Andrew thought to do after that meeting was to go to his brother, Simon Peter. So he goes to his brother, Simon Peter, and he says, hey, Simon, 
I've just had the most incredible meeting. A few days ago, I was out there, you know, by the Jordan River and John, you know, John, you hear me talk about him all the time. John, he pointed at this guy by the name of Jesus and said, look, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I just got through hanging out with him. And Simon, I wanna tell you, don't think I'm crazy, but I think he's the Messiah. I think he is the savior of the world. He's the one that the prophets, prophets promised would come. And Simon Peter, you know, you'd probably be like any of us thinking, oh my goodness, you know, Andrew, 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 you've been a little bit fanatical for a few months now with this whole John thing. And now there's like a Jesus, you know, I don't know what's going on. And Andrew's like, just, just, I want you to meet him. If you'll meet him, if, if, if you'll just spend a little time with him, I think that you'll begin to believe like I believe. And so Simon, he goes with Andrew and Andrew introduces Jesus to Simon and introduces Simon to Jesus. And at the end of that meeting, after Jesus looks at Peter and basically just says, hey, they've been calling you Simon, but from here on, I'm gonna call you Peter. And it didn't make a whole lot of sense to Peter at that moment. But when that meeting was over, Peter didn't know it. And perhaps no one else but Jesus knew it in that moment. But Peter's world was about to change. And the whole world was about to change. Andrew and Simon Peter, they went back fishing. But John, that was the beginning of Andrew and Simon Peter's story with Jesus. But not only was it the beginning of Andrew and Simon Peter's story, but John was also the beginning of Philip and Nathaniel's story. Philip was also a follower of John the baptizer. Philip was also there that day when John said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So when Philip met Jesus, we're told that Jesus looked at Philip and said, hey, Philip, I want you to follow me. And Philip was so convinced for a number of reasons that Jesus was the Messiah, that Philip decided to become a follower of Jesus. But before he actually started to follow Jesus, he looked at Jesus and he said in so many words, hey, I need to go do something before I actually like physically follow you. And so he leaves Jesus and Philip goes to one of his good friends by the name of Nathaniel. And he goes to his friend by the name of Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, I have found the Messiah. I have found the Savior, the one that the Old Testament promised would come and save us from our sins. And Nathaniel, he's a bit of a skeptic. You know, he's not quick to believe even what his good friends say. And he says, okay, tell me a little bit more. He says, well, his name, Nathaniel, is Jesus, and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel, he speaks these words. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because Nazareth was like the other side of the tracks, like nothing good, nobody good comes from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip just said, hey, listen, why don't you come and see? Because I'm convinced if you'll spend a little time with Jesus, if you'll investigate Jesus, I think you'll come to the same conclusion that I did. And that was the beginning of how Philip and Nathaniel became followers of Jesus. It started with John saying, look, behold, the Lamb of God. Then Philip and Nathaniel, and then Andrew and Simon Peter. And that was how the whole Jesus thing got started. The Jesus movement began when someone started following Jesus because of someone else who was following Jesus. That's how the whole thing started. When you read the gospels, it's simple, but yet it is, it is profound as that. That the Jesus movement began when someone started following Jesus because someone else was following Jesus. Now, when Simon and Andrew went back, they went back to Galilee because they owned a fishing business there. And they fished with some other business owners along the Sea of Galilee, which was two of their good friends, James and John, who were sons of Zebedee. 
So undoubtedly, Simon and Andrew, they were hanging out with James and John every single day. They were working the Sea of Galilee together every single day. Undoubtedly, Simon and Andrew had told James and John about this meeting that they had had with Jesus. Without a doubt, Andrew had told them about how John said, look, behold the lamb. And then Andrew went and spent time with Jesus and undoubtedly he told James and John, hey, at the end of that meeting, I was convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah. I went and got Simon, I've introduced him to Simon, but Simon's not so sure yet. And so they told James and John, they've been out, they've been fishing all night. They're coming in from fishing all night, they haven't caught a thing. So they're a little frustrated, a little bit discouraged, and we're told that they're there on the seashore and they're washing their nets because that's what you do when you catch no fish. You wash your nets and you get ready for the next time. Well, while they're washing their nets, here comes Jesus walking along the shore. And Jesus has got a whole crowd of people with him that want a sermon. So Jesus looks at Peter because they've met before and he says, hey, Peter, can I borrow your boat? Peter's like, I'm kind of busy right now. I'm washing my nets. Yeah, but I really need your boat. And so Peter says, okay. So Peter gets in the boat with Jesus. He pushes a little bit out from the shore and Jesus stands up in the boat and teaches the people, uses the water as, you know, an acoustical quality so that he can speak to all those people on the shore. And so there he is, he's preaching. And Peter's got to listen to every word of the sermon. He's a captive audience. James, John, and Andrew are over here washing their nets. They have to listen to every bit of this sermon. All the people that are on the shore, they're listening to this sermon. And at the end of it, and we don't even know what the sermon was about, at the end of the sermon, you know, everybody kind of disperses to go on their own way. Jesus looks at Peter, Andrew, James, and John and says, hey, why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you guys push back out into the deep and let down your nets again and see what happens? But that was not the way you fished back then. That's just not how it worked. And they kind of told Jesus that, like, we've already been there. We missed our window. He said, no, just, just do me a favor. And so Peter says, okay, because you say so, we're going to do it. So they take their boat, they go back out to the deep, they drop their nets in, and then they try to bring their nets back in. And they've got so many fish, they can't hardly get the net back in the boat. They come back to the shore. And this is when Jesus looked at the four of them and said these words, come, follow me, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And it says at once they left their nets and they followed Jesus. This was Jesus inviting these guys to follow him for real, full time. This was Jesus informing these guys, hey, if you're gonna follow me, let me tell you what I'm gonna do in response to you following me. If you decide to follow me, I'm gonna make you fish for people. And so here's what Jesus was doing for followers of Jesus then and followers of Jesus now. He was defining the win for us all. Jesus was defining the purpose of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you wanna know what it means to follow Jesus, if someone told you once upon a time that following Jesus is all about going to heaven when you die, that is not the entirety of the point of following Jesus. That is a part, but it is not the ultimate purpose for your life right now. Jesus said, if you wanna know the purpose for your life right now, if you wanna know the purpose behind why you're following me, he says, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tell you what the purpose is for why you follow me. He's gonna tell us all that faith is not personal. You've heard that all your life. Faith is a personal thing. Faith is personal, it's a personal matter. It's just, you know, it's between me and God. Faith is personal. Jesus said, yeah, faith is personal, but it's more than personal. It's interpersonal. Your faith not only involves you, but your faith involves the people around you. Your faith is not personal because your faith also has to do with some other people. Because here's what Jesus was saying, hey guys, I'm inviting you to follow me in hopes that some other guys that know you guys will decide to follow me. 
I'm gonna invite you to follow me and I'm gonna teach you how to reach people. I'm gonna teach you how to influence people. I'm gonna teach you how to influence people to follow me. You don't know how to do that yet. But if you're gonna follow me, you need to know what following me is all about. Following me is all about learning how to influence people towards faith. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna teach you to love other people in such an incredible way that people, they scratch their heads because you love them so well. And sooner or later, because of how you love them, they're gonna get curious about your faith. They're gonna get curious about why you love them so well. And they're gonna ask you, and you're gonna get the opportunity to tell them that you love them because God first loved you and that I have done an amazing thing for you and for them and for the world. And I'm gonna teach you how to love people that way. Because you're gonna love in such a way that's gonna awaken people's faith. They're gonna actually take steps in the direction of faith because of how you love. I'm gonna teach you how to do good for people, but I'm gonna teach you how to be good with people. Because it's no good to follow me, guys. It does you no good to follow me if you're not good with people. Because your faith is just not about you, it is about people. So if you're not good with people, you're gonna miss the whole purpose of what it means to follow me. Because your purpose is just not about you. It's bigger than you. And so it was almost like Jesus. It's like he pulled you know, out of his back pocket. He got the playbook open and there was only one page. He's like, guys, this is the play. This is the strategy. This, this is how we're gonna change the world. This is how we're gonna turn this thing upside down. This is how we're gonna topple an empire. This is how we're gonna change communities and families and individuals. This is how we're gonna change the world. And they're leaning in and they're like, okay, what's the strategy, Jesus? What's, what's the plan? He said, okay, here's my plan. I'm inviting you to follow me so that people who know you will perhaps eventually know me. I'm gonna invite you to follow me so that people who love you perhaps in time, will come to love me. I'm gonna invite you to follow me so that people who trust you, perhaps in time, will trust me. If you follow me, I'm gonna teach you how to influence people to become followers of me. Guys, here's what I need you to know. If you're gonna follow me, and he's talking to you and he's talking to me, he was talking to them. If you're gonna follow me, There's something you gotta know and there's something you gotta believe. There's something you gotta know and there's something you gotta believe. You gotta know that no one comes to faith alone. No one comes to faith alone. You gotta know that. No one's gonna come to faith alone and here's something you gotta believe. If you're gonna follow me, you gotta believe that everyone can reach someone. Because guys, there's always a someone in someone's story of faith. And here's what I know about you. It is impossible for you to tell your story of faith. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, it is impossible for you to tell your story of faith without mentioning somebody in your story. You may not even know their name. You may not remember their face, but you remember once upon a time, there was a someone, it was a she, it was a he, it was a family member, it was a friend, but you cannot tell your story about how you came to faith without telling about how someone else played a part in you coming to faith. This is true for all of us because no one comes to faith alone. And somebody somewhere in our lives helped to reach us. They helped to steer us and to lead us towards faith. For me, I've told you about this before, but it's worth repeating. For me, it was a woman by the name of Tamasa. 
She was my Sunday school teacher, and she was my, actually my, my middle school teacher as well. So I, you know, I saw her on Sundays, and I thought, saw her through the week for you know, about you know, two or three years of my life. And, and I've told you, you know, and I'm going to tell you again for no other reason, so that you'll be grateful for the church that you're in today, and, and so that you're not in the church that I grew up in. So I grew up in a church where there's about 100 people, you know, just 100 people. We were all related. And, and it, it, it came to the place where I was you know, 15, 16 years old. I was the only person in the church who had not made a profession of faith. I was the only person in the church that wasn't saved, that hadn't, you know, been baptized. I was the only person. So when the, you know, the preacher would get up and he'd start talking about hell and start talking about turn or burn. And, and then he'd give the invitation and they'd sing 57 verses of just as I am without one plea. You know, I, I promise you there were more than a half dozen people consistently looking back over their shoulder to see, is he coming tonight? For the love of God, just come so we can stop singing this song. And, and, it, and it was, it was, it was pressure. I mean, it was a lot of pressure. I remember one time she came back to me in the invitation, started hugging me and crying and saying, I think you need to come tonight. And I'm like, I don't think so. But I, I can't tell my story without talking about her because she was praying for me and she had all kinds of people praying for me. It was incredible. I didn't get to faith alone. You didn't get to faith alone. Somebody in our life believed that they could reach us, influence us, and they are part of our story. And this is the great thing about what Jesus is doing. He's introducing us to the purpose of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus connected our purpose as followers of Jesus to people who were not followers of Jesus. Jesus said, if you wanna know what your purpose is, and everybody wants to know what their purpose is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter how old you are. Everybody wants to have life with purpose and meaning, fulfillment and contentment. And Jesus said, if you wanna know what your purpose is, he says, let me show you. And he points us in the direction of people who are not followers of Jesus. Because Jesus wanted us to understand that at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus is to have a heart for those who do not follow Jesus. At the heart of what it means to follow Jesus is having a heart for those who do not follow Jesus. And Jesus was always saying this. And he said it in a lot of different ways. He would say, if you want to know what your purpose is, let me point you in the direction of people who don't follow me. Because people who do not follow me, it's part of your purpose. You'll never find your purpose your reason for existing, the reason that you're breathing, the reason that you have the job that you have, the reason that you get to wake up and have the life that you have, the people that you know, the circles that you run in. If you wanna know what the purpose is, the meaning, the cohesive meaning behind all of it, he says, let me point you in the direction of people who don't follow me because you will find your purpose for living. You will find your purpose in following me by looking at people and by pursuing people who don't follow me. Jesus, Jesus would do it this way. He would say, hey, hey, look over there. The fields are ripe for harvest. The fields are, are ripe for harvest. But guess what? The workers are few. And what was he doing? He was saying the purpose of the workers is to go work the harvest. But there's the harvest, but there's not enough workers. If you wanna know what the purpose of the workers is, it is to go harvest the field. He would say, look, you need to go harvest the fields. This is your purpose. Jesus would say, hey, let me tell you why I'm here on earth. I've come to seek and to save the lost. The inference being, if you're gonna follow me, that's your purpose as well, to seek and to save those that are lost. Before Jesus would go back into heaven after the resurrection, he looked at his disciples and he said, okay guys, final words. Here's, here's what I need you to do. 
I need you to know why I'm leaving you behind. I I need you to know why I'm not taking you on to heaven with me. I I want you to know why you're staying here. He said, it's because of your purpose. Guys, if you wanna know what your purpose is in following me, go. Go to the ends of the earth and seek people who are far from God and tell them how they can have a right relationship with God because of what God has done for them through my sacrifice and resurrection. If you wanna know what your purpose is, keep looking at the people who are far from God. Jesus did this over and over again. And for some of you, you wake up day in and day out and you wonder, do you have a purpose? Do you have a meaning? You claim faith, you claim a relationship with Jesus, but yet your life feels a bit empty. You feel discontent, you're not satisfied, and you wonder, is there a point? And Jesus said, there absolutely is a point to your life. There is a purpose for your life. And if you wanna know what your purpose is, if you wanna feel that purpose, if you wanna be reminded of what that purpose is, you keep your eyes on the people who are far from God because that's what it means to follow me. You are following me so someone else can follow me. And Jesus did this over and over again. And one of my favorite examples of this happened in the gospel of Mark when Jesus did a miracle for a guy on a guy, right? It was for this guy, but it was on this guy. And at the end of it, this guy, he's gonna respond to Jesus in in, in such a special way, but Jesus, he's gonna throw a curveball to him and to us. He's gonna do something unexpected. And he's gonna point this guy who's had a miracle performed for him and on him. He's gonna point him in this very same direction of purpose that's connected to people who are far from Jesus. And so this is how Mark records it. He says, they went across the lake. This is Jesus and his disciples. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man, everybody say a man. Not men, but a man, one man. A man with an impure spirit or a demonic spirit, some translations say it. He came from the tombs to meet Jesus. It says, this man lived in the tombs and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. So here's the picture. I'm not gonna read you all the story and tell you all the story, but I'm gonna give you the highlights and you can go read it for yourself because it's a great story. Here's a guy that's living in a cemetery. Jesus, they've been on the Sea of Galilee. They're going over to this region, the Gerasenes. And and in those days, you know, if you near the shore, you would look for high ground to put the cemetery because you didn't want your cemetery, you know, down near the water because that's that's just a bad idea. And so here's a guy who's probably up here in the higher ground. He's at this cemetery. He's possessed by these impure spirits that we're gonna discover. He's been chained because he's been ostracized from his friends, his family, his community. And in those days, that's the only thing they knew to do for him. They chained him because he was a harm, potential harm to himself. He was a potential harm to other people. So, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us and it seems quite barbaric, but, but they chained him in the cemetery to protect him and to protect other people because this, this guy, was, he was erratic in behavior. And, and so here he is, he's up there, he's broken free. He sees a boat of some guys coming across. And so we're told that, you know, here he comes down the hillside and he's naked and he's erratic, just the way you wanna be welcomed when you're getting off a boat, uh, uh, you know, just when you get on land. Here, he's naked, he's naked. Jesus, where have you brought us? Right? And so here comes this guy, he's crazy, he's naked. And it says in the text, it says, for this man, 
He had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. And no one was strong enough to subdue this guy. And it says night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. I mean, this guy's just so erratic. He's hurting himself. He's potentially hurting other people. And here he is. He comes running with no clothes on, acting kind of erratic. He's bleeding, he's scabby. He comes up to Jesus. And like I said, it's a, it's a great story. You, sh- you should read it. He comes up to Jesus and they begin to interact. And Jesus does what only Jesus can do. Jesus is going to cast the evil spirit out of the man. And so they begin to talk to each other and Jesus asks the evil spirit, says, what is your name, right? It's just, it's, it's make, it would make for a great movie. And you know, and the demon says, legion, you know, for, you know, I don't know if it sounded like that, but it always sounds like that when I read it, legion, you know, because we are many. And so it's just not one spirit, but it was a whole bunch of spirits. And so Jesus, because he has authority over all things, Jesus cast the evil spirit out of the man. He cast all the evil spirits out of the man. And then it it kind of gets a little strange, a little weird at this point. The evil spirits went out of the man, but went into a herd of pigs of about 2,000. There were 2,000 pigs. And the evil spirits went into those pigs and those pigs then ran off the cliff. So at the bottom of the cliff, there's, there's there's a village. There's a little town. And all of a sudden people are hanging out down there in their town and they look up and there's pigs jumping off the cliff and there's just, you know, like 2,000 pigs. And it's not every day you wake up and there's 2,000 pigs like jumping off the cliff and people are down there thinking, what? What is going on? And so they decide to go up and investigate to find out what in the heck is happening up there on the high ground. And it says, when they got up there, the town people, they came to Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. They knew this guy. They were familiar with him. He was sitting there dressed because that's a step in the right direction, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So obviously the point of this story is that when you follow Jesus, you no longer struggle with public nudity, right? (laughs) Jesus helps with that, right? If Jesus gets you to wear clothes in public, that's a win, right? We're for that. And so, you know, it's like they come up there and this is the guy that they always see without clothes and now he's clothed and he's sitting at Jesus's feet and he's, he seems like he's got his faculties about him. He seems like he's thinking and he's speaking clearly. And, and all of a sudden they don't know what to think about it. They're kind of amazed by it all. They've seen all these pigs jump off the cliff. Now here's this guy, he's got clothes on. He seems like he's in his right mind and their mind is blown. And so they, they go back to town and they start telling people about some of these crazy events that they've seen. And then as the people left, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, hey, you know, we probably better go. We better head back. He says, as Jesus was getting back in the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Now, we would think, yes, this is a win. Jesus has performed this miracle and now this guy wants to follow Jesus. This guy wants to be with Jesus. He wants to be right on Jesus' hip. He wants to be right in the same boat with Jesus. And we think, hey, that's awesome, that's great. That's what's supposed to happen. But Jesus is gonna do something unexpected. Jesus is gonna tell this guy, yeah, that sounds good. And yeah, that's important. But there's something more important. And there is a bigger purpose for your life than just trying to stay near me. There's a bigger purpose for your life than just being in the same boat with me. And so Jesus did not let him go with him. It's like, what? Jesus did not let him, but he looked at the guy and said, go. Go home to your own people and tell them 
how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And here again, Jesus is looking at this brand new follower of Jesus that's been delivered from this demonic spirit. He looks at this guy and says, hey, if you wanna know what the purpose is, for your life. If you want to know what my purpose is for your life moving forward, if you want to know what your heavenly father's purpose is for your life moving forward, I'm going to point you in the direction of people who are far from me. I'm going to point you in the direction of people who don't follow me, who do not know me, who do not love me, who do not trust me. I want you to go and I want you to tell them what God has done for you because the best thing that you can do for me the best thing that you can do for you and the best thing that you can do for them is to go tell your story to them because new follower of Jesus, old followers of Jesus, all followers of Jesus, here's what I wanna remind you of. No one comes to faith alone, so you gotta go tell your story. No one comes to faith alone, so I'm not going to let you go with me because it's more important that you go after them. And oh yeah, everyone can reach someone. And guy who's just been delivered from a demonic spirit, look at me, look at me. You can reach someone. You can reach someone. So I need you to go tell your story because your story may be the thing that God uses to change someone else's story. The best thing that you can do is not to be right with me. The best thing that you can do is not to be in the boat with us. The best thing that you can do is to go home and tell people what God has done for you. So it says, so the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. The Decapolis was a group of 10 cities. They were Gentile cities, and somewhere around 63 BC, they had been liberated from Jewish control by Pompey the Great from Rome. The Decapolis, they were, they were 10 cities that were Gentile-run cities, and that's where that man went back to. He went back to the Decapolis, to those 10 cities, and he began to tell people what Jesus had done for him, to which we, we should ask the question, well, what then happened next? And sometimes the scriptures tell us what happens next, and sometimes the scriptures don't tell us what happened next, but this is one of those really great stories that we actually know what happens next. Jesus and his disciples go back across the Sea of Galilee, but sometime later, perhaps a few weeks, perhaps a few months, they come back to this very same place. The first time Jesus came, he was greeted by one man, that naked man from the cemetery who had cut himself and was possessed by demons. He was met by one man. The next time Jesus came back, he was greeted by 4,000 people. And Jesus is gonna perform a miracle and feed every single one of them. How did Jesus's welcoming committee go from one to 4,000? I have to believe that perhaps it was because that man left there believing that no one gets to faith alone and that he could reach someone. He told his story and it made a difference. Amen. This is how Christianity got started. It started with a man by the name of John who said, look, the Lamb of God. And it influenced Andrew who influenced Simon Peter it influenced Philip and influenced Nathaniel. 
Then James and John were influenced by their friends. And this is how the whole thing got started. And this is how Christianity changed the world. Someone started following Jesus. And because someone started following Jesus, someone else started following Jesus. That man left there that day understanding that at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus is having a heart for those who do not follow Jesus. And if we collectively as a church, the Creek Church, if we can believe, begin to believe a new and in a fresh way that no one gets the faith alone, and that I can reach someone and you can reach someone and that if we just tell our stories, if we will direct our eyes in the direction of people who do not follow Jesus and discover our purpose, the world can actually change. Lives can be changed. Because when Jesus' followers believe that no one is unlovable and no one is unreachable, amazing things will happen. And amazing things continue to happen when we get it right. And when we get it right, it's beautiful. It's compelling. It's attractive. It's life-changing. Let me show you what this looks like. My life was a rodeo. I was down the wrong path every way I turned. Charlie had things in his life that really controlled him. Yeah, he's a pretty wild guy. Charlie's really wild. Jack's <laughs> Charlie's life is tough. Oh, I met Charlie in the late 1980s uh, when I was uh, having some work done on the farm and he helped me with uh, quite a few things that we were doing. He's such a likable guy. But he had problems. And uh, over the years that I've known Charlie, he's uh, unfortunately has uh, had to pay for some of those problems. I got into a bunch of trouble and went to the penitentiary. And what time I was there, just about everybody gave up on me. I did a drug program. And when, when it was over, they said we could invite our family and all of our friends. So I invited 20 people. One person showed up and it was Ken James. I don't know how many times I told myself, I'm done, Charlie, I'm done. <laughs> you know, but I never could do it. I always thought, you know, there's so much good in Charlie. I thought, you know, gotta be, gotta be something there that's worth, worth working for. I wanted him to have a better life. I, I just thought, well, if I could get him in church. A year and a half ago, I guess it was, you know, he was really facing a, a difficult time. And in that process, I began to talk to Charlie about going to church. I was really, really nervous, thinking that I was going to be judged, and none of that happened. They brought me in with open arms and treated me with love. I've never felt anything like it in my life. Charlie and his girlfriend uh, came to see me, and I knew that they were you know, taking small steps of faith, and I knew that one of the things that they were both thinking about doing was taking a step of baptism. And I wasn't really sure where they were in that decision, um, but we had a night of worship called Down to the River, and, and we baptized dozens and dozens of people that night. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I looked back over my shoulder to see who's next, and, and it was Charlie. There was Charlie. He was getting ready to get into the water, and I just remember saying, oh my gosh, it's Charlie. When I come out of that water, it was just like I, I could jump 10 foot high. I mean, it's like the weight of the world was lifted above me. 
all these years that I've known Charlie, and to see this happen, it's like a miracle. One of the things that people have heard for years in church is the term, the finish line of faith. If we can just get somebody to put their faith and trust in Jesus, get them baptized, get them across the finish line of faith, then all is well. Um, but that's not the case at all when it comes to faith. Matter of fact, placing your faith in Jesus and following him in baptism is the starting line of faith. And that was certainly true for Charlie. Once you live a lifestyle that I was living, all your friends are doing the same thing. So me, I'm trying to get all my friends and all my family involved. And I feel like I can reach out and touch them better than anybody. My uh, nephew, Bobby, uh, he's got baptized there. My second cousin's been baptized there. My brother, my, my cousin's daughter. All those people have come as I come to the church. I felt like their lifestyle needed to be changed as well as mine was. I wanted them to have the same experience that I'm having. Somebody like Charlie, I think, does have sort of a end, if you want to say so. They can look at him and say, you know, he's been there. You know, there's nothing that I've done that Charlie hasn't done. <laughs> and so maybe, maybe there is something to this. If you want to reach somebody, you know, you need to, you need to develop some kind of relationship to where they feel comfortable with you, you know, they feel like they can trust you if you don't feel like that you're looking down on them. To me, there is no better example of everyone can reach someone uh, more so than Ken James inviting Charlie and his girlfriend Christy to our church because he didn't feel like he could take them anywhere else. And from that first invitation where Ken says, Charlie, will you come to church with me? And Charlie brings his girlfriend, really not only have their lives changed, but the lives of so many other people have changed consequent to that. It's true, everyone can reach them. No matter whether they're rich, poor, homeless, or whatever, you know, everybody can reach someone in some sort of way. That's how you change the world. That's how the world was changed the first time. A man stood up and he spoke and a friend heard it and investigated for himself and decided that Jesus was his savior. He went and told his brother and in time, his brother became a follower. Another friend found another and said, you've got to meet this guy. And he became a follower. James and John, because they're fishing buddies, said, let us tell you about this man named Jesus. And because someone started following Jesus, someone else started following Jesus. All because they knew and believed that no one gets to faith alone and everyone can reach someone. There are thousands of people, thousands of people in our communities who are far from God. And Jesus said, if you want your life to feel like it matters, if you want your faith to be awakened, if you wanna feel fulfillment and contentment like you've never felt it before, get your eyes on people who are far from me. And you use everything at your disposal 
your job, your resources, your connections, your relationship, your platform, your influence, you use it all to try to see people who are not followers of me become followers of me. There are thousands and some are your family members and some are my family members. They are our friends, they are our coworkers, and they are our neighbors. And here's my question to all of us. Does it break our heart? If it's true that everyone spends forever somewhere, does it break our heart that there are some people in our life and in our circles of influence that doesn't know him? Do we have a burden? Are we praying? Are we waking up in the morning saying, God, if nothing else, just use me today to say something, do something that may in some way influence and impact someone to take a step of faith. Because I know that today no one gets to faith alone and I believe that today I have the capacity to reach someone. What if we, what if we approached our days like that? How alive would faith feel? And how fulfilled would we be? No one gets to faith alone. So who will be the one who gets to faith because of you? There is always a someone in someone's story of faith. Don't be satisfied until you're that someone. Because one day somebody may tell their story of faith and they will not be able to speak of their story without speaking of you. Perhaps they will say, no one showed me kindness like they showed me kindness. They kept inviting me and inviting me and inviting me. I was rude, I was hateful, but they kept inviting me. They wouldn't give up on me. They just kept loving me no matter what I did, no matter what I said. They refused to give up on me. They always helped me. When I fell down, they were there. And they will tell their story and they will speak of you. Seven out of 10 people say they live an unhappy life. Almost the exact same number of people say they feel as though they live without purpose. What if the life that you want is only found in purpose? And Jesus said, if you wanna know what your purpose is, I'm gonna point you to people who are not followers of me. So if you want your faith to grow, if you want your faith to come alive, if you wanna get out there on the edge of what it means to follow, if you wanna know why you're breathing and existing, if you wanna know why you're good at what you're good at, why you have the job that you have, why you're in the circles, if you wanna know why you are where you are, look at people far from me because they can't get to faith alone. And you, you can reach someone you can reach more than just one someone. And perhaps you're asking, well, what can I do? Show up in love. Charlie said, I invited 20 people 
And one man showed up, Ken James. Sometimes all you got to do is show up. Sometimes that's all you have to do is just show up, is to be there. Sometimes you just need to be there when they've fallen down to help them back up and not say a word. Sometimes you just need to be there when they're hurting. You need to be there when they're happy. You just need to be there. You need to show up and you need to love and you need to keep showing up and you need to keep loving. That's what you can do. You can be bold and influence. You can keep inviting. You can try to be creative. Try to bring them to this event. Bring them to Sunday. You can try to invite them to your group. You can try to bring them to dinner. Take them out for coffee. Do anything that you can where maybe a conversation about faith comes up. You can share your story. You can tell them how you struggled. You can tell them how you went through betrayal. You can tell them how you failed time and time and time again and you got it wrong and you got it wrong and you got it wrong. But God kept saying, come on back, come on back, come on back. Be bold and influence. And then finally, don't give up. Keep praying. Write their name down and ask God to do something special in that person's heart that awakens their heart to faith. Keep praying, keep showing up, keep loving, keep inviting. Keep doing what you're doing to try to reach someone who's far from God because that's your purpose. That's my purpose. It's fun to have church. It's fun to come to church. I'm for both of those. But what good is it if we miss our purpose? What if we left here believing that no one is unreachable and no one is unlovable? There's no song today. There's no invitation to come down and pray. The invitation today is what Jesus said. Look, those fields, they're ready for harvest. And some of them you know their name and some of them you don't. Look, there they are, people far from me. And they can't get to faith alone. But you, someone so go go and do what you were created to do reach people far from God Heavenly Father when we leave here today may purpose erupt in our heart may we walk out of here with a fresh desire a fresh passion to live according to our purpose, to keep our eyes on people far from you and to remind ourselves that no one gets to faith alone and that everyone, every one of us can reach someone, that we will be someone, someone. In Jesus' name.